welcome back to another episode of Anne's Annotations, um, a podcast about literature and language and anything that interests me at the time. I know, whoever has been listening regularly to my podcast, I know that my upload schedule has been a bit of a shamble. I've been back to school and with university applications and coursework, I've just been so busy and overwhelmed with everything, but fear not, I will try to do something at least once a month, and here I am with another episode. So today we are going to talk a bit about a big concept. That is the relationship between reality and fiction. In particular, how narrative captures reality. And what are its limits? Which, by extension, what are the limits of language in bridging us to reality? We will be exploring this relationship through the novels of Nausea by Sartre. Again, I know, it's a recurring text. That of Therese Racine and Dr. Pascal by Zola. And the play of Molière, Lavare. Um, We will also be thinking about how the form and style of each text shapes its meaning, i.e. how a well-made play shapes the meaning of Molière's um, Lavar, or how um, the epistolary style of Nausea shapes its meaning. So, let's start with words, and in particular the words in Nausea. In the introduction, James Wood um, notes that Sartre, quote, Sartre uses fictionality to ask us to reflect on the fictionality, or at least the arbitrariness of reality itself, unquote. In other words, it questions our perception of reality. What defines it? In the novel, the narrator begins with the conviction of, quote, write down events from day to day, end quote. And he could, quote, determine the exact extent and nature of this change, end quote. For him, that is the only way he could be true to reality, to capture it. However, he soon realizes that it is a rather hard task, since, quote, you exaggerate everything, end quote, implying that when we record things, even with objectivity, there is already a process of filtering between what you observed and what you wrote down. And, you know, with the choice of which word you decide to capture that uh, perception in. And this, for him, is because we, quote, continually force the truth because we're always looking for something, end quote. The sense of, you know, that once an intention comes into play, it no longer is objective as we think, thus failing to capture true existence. Through this, we can already see that inking words don't, won't naturally or um, necessarily link us to the full extent of, re- of reality, no less fiction. 
However, the epistolary style of the novel does attempt at verisimilitude, which is sort of um, the term to describe when texts um, try to be real. You know, like um, diaries. That's a verisimilitude. So, so that through nausea, we see already the um, on the level of just words itself. How can we use words to capture reality, and can we ever capture reality with words? And you know, how do we define it? You know,、um, as I think I will go on to a bit later. And and this brings us to another level, which is narrative and novel.、Um, for example, in novels. So with this, we're we'll be looking at、um, Zola's work. So Zola, he is well known for naturalism, and、um, you know, with Lo- Zola, he admits the limits of realism in conveying absolute reality, and has gone far with naturalism、um, in creating his own laboratory, his own world behind naturalism, which is often considered to be a rather extreme version of realism. Um, there is that conviction in knowing and determining how it is the environment that shapes who you are, going on the extreme opinion that it is nurture, not nature, that determines who you become. There is a scientism that drives that fuels this philosophy. Each novel is a laboratory of words and of characters, as noted in John Cruikshank's. French literature in its background, nineteenth century, that there are limits to the universality in Zola's writing, in that although he tries to demonstrate、um, his sociological truth、uh, by generating certain archetypes、um, of of characters in his literary world, what he gets will only because of what he puts in. There's already a filter going on. Thus, hindering the act of seeking reality, and here is a quote describing this idea: quote, "His world is static, pessimistically conceived, deterministic in the least constructive sense." Therefore, the words that he inked down and the narrative that it constructs are perhaps too controlled to have been reality. You know, and many would raise the point of. In reality, just too many things happen that actually to capture every single thing down would be very boring. But that anyway.、Um, for instance, in his novel *La Semoire*, he accomplishes in conveying his theory, but it was because、um, the reality in his world is very narrow, through a very narrow scope, focusing tightly on the character Gervais. Whose nature never really changed and was already hinted at the beginning and always stuck within the same environment. You know, he—it's not like he uses the same character with the same temperament, the same、um, background, and seeing them in different circumstances, different、um, in really different circumstances and different scenarios and outcomes. But there's because there's only one single narrative. Going throughout like one plot, 
one grandpa, right? That um, you end up still restricting yourself to one particular situation. However, it does shine light on truths about some darker sides of human nature. Although some critics argue that he focuses too much on those aspects and is man-destroying it a bit, it still resonates with people. One could argue that because it resonates, it is real. It reflects something true, but the absolute reality, not really. From this, we see the limits of novels, either in epistolary style or an experimental, observational style of characters um, in laboratory and being real, inasmuch as it blurs the boundaries between reality and fiction. And, you know, this sort of approach to capturing reality is very much because of um, his sort of current society, the context within which he created these works, uh, which, you know, was in full force of industrial revolution and science, science revolution. Um, there is, you know, sort of new order of science, especially with Darwin, whose work is very seminal, and is really what hammers in that scientism that flourished um, in Europe at the time, really. And I think that is very much reflected in this naturalism and his literary um, movement. And it, and I think naturalism is even more relevant, especially in theatre, um, such as with Ibsen, but Ibsen, it's more realism than naturalism, I think. But yeah, Zola's naturalism does is very relevant at the time. In that, for them, it was the newest standard, the newest reality in a way. And now, you know, uh, as I was mentioning, plays and theatres. Actually, that links us to the next things I would like to talk about, which is plays and language for similitude. So, uh, with this, we'll look at Moliere's play to um, dive into this sort of topic a bit. So, although Moliere's play are categorically fictional in that it's tightly constructed and there's lots of melodrama of because it's a well, all of them are well-made play. It can still explore this relationship between reality and fiction, especially in terms of language. I feel like this form has its benefit in that its usage of language, the rhythm of reality, is more obtainable through this format. Of course, not all the way, and only in recent development. But this is because of our shifts. Before, theatre was mere entertainment, it doesn't concern accuracy, but some plausibility and mainly entertainment. Yet still in, um, in a well-constructed play, such as that of Molière, because the play utilizes spoken language, or to a certain degree, at least, which in of itself creates verisimilitude. One aspect um, that we will look at into specifically is the quid pro quo in Lavar, which means uh, quiproquo, 
in lava, which means misunderstandings in French. And this technique is used frequently in Molière's play, employed as a means to create comedy. Indeed, misunderstandings do make things rather comical. For instance, in Lavar, there is a moment when the son Cléant is finally revealing to his father、uh, the person he wanted to marry, Marianne. However, the latter misinterprets it as his son approving of his own desire. To marry the same girl, Marianne. This highlights the ambiguity of language. How meanings and forms are not always coherent. Neither does syntactic rules. To illustrate,、um, so this is going to be the French quote first.、Uh, Le mariage peut nous faire peur à tous deux. De la façon que vous pouvez l'entendre, et nous crions que nos sentiments ne soient pas d'accord avec votre choix. Which Roughly translates to, the marriage as we know it can scare us both, and we are afraid that our feelings won't correspond to your choices. Here, the son is saying that he feels that the person he wants to marry won't please his father, but what his father interprets as is that his son will approve of the father's own choice of who he wants to marry. Despite the grammatical correctness of this, I mean, especially back then, I think you know, in、um, you know, medieval Renaissance, I mean, plays,、um, you know, it's not really spoken language; it's very tightly constructed and controlled. And so, this you can see that technically, it would be grammatically correct to some extent, and grammatically correct here, you know, it's quite relative and it's. It makes sense back then. Anyway, despite the grammatical correctness of it, we can see how misinterpretations can still happen. Once again, despite the fictional element of this play, the fact that it reflects the truth doesn't make doesn't make it real. And there's one more aspect I would like to just、um, talk through quickly, is、um, the idea of time. In fiction versus reality, so another verisimilitude technique is how the time flows in these texts. In nausea, for example, it is distorted. On the contrary, it's more linear in Molière and Zola. And in the twenty-first century, for us, experiencing the time distortion is considered to be more real. Our thoughts aren't linear, and our memories aren't as well. Therefore, only the epistolary style of nausea adds that sense of verisimilitude, but also how the narrator talks about time. You know, things trigger memories. He sees something, and suddenly he thinks of something, be it voluntary or involuntary. On the contrary, the linearity of Molière and Zola does limit its imitation of reality. Although that couldn't really be said for Molière, since he never claimed to have captured reality as as、uh, did Zola or other realist authors. Yet we often do categorize things into linear pattern, our grammar of past, present, future. We often use time metaphors to,、um, I mean, that conjure up a more linear image. River flows, water traveling in one direction, arrows. So, what does it mean to be able to capture the passage of time 
realistically. To answer this question, we would have to wonder how do we experience time, and is how we experience time realistic? As perhaps raised in a book called *The Order of Time*,、um, written by physicist Carlo Rovelli, who tells us that what we call time isn't really time anyway, but it doesn't disregard our experience of time. Would this still be applicable to fiction? Is experience time in fiction still va- as valid as reality? I know it's a loaded question, but it is a fruit fr- for thoughts. Yeah.、Um, so conclusions: the reality of the relationship between fiction and reality is very difficult to decipher. One could attempt, but I doubt we'll ever come to a real consensus. I mean, at least. For me,、um, I I don't know enough yet, and I'm not you know、um, prodigy or anything, so I, I really don't know. I'm still thinking about it and rediscovering things.、Um, but I think unless we keep the dichotomy between fiction and reality well defined,、um, you know that could set the boundaries, which could help. Us to decipher the relationship, but with postmodernist writings, for example, they're starting to cracking,、um, make cracks in the wall already, and it doesn't help either that the debate about truth is also quite up in the air.、Um, but from what we can see, and、um, in language and. Um, how it bridges us to reality, but also constrains us, especially with written language,、um, which is what is employed in novels and plays. You know the text of it, at least. There's always a degree of processing, thus cutting off the bit of that、um, which is directly linked to reality. But at times, language can shape our reality. A bit, you know, how we describe things can influence our feelings and thoughts towards something, like in many of other rhetoric of、uh, persuasion. You know, I think there is two way,、uh, two directions. You see something, and that generates thoughts and words. But thoughts and words also generates how you perceive things, in a way. And. You know, for instance, the literature employed in news coverage of immigrants and refugees, you know, often used the image,、uh, conveys the image of overwhelmed and chaos with metaphors of flood and water, and an image that evokes a sense of uncontrollableness. This can rather be、um, emotive; it gets people's sympathy, but also for some, heightens the sense of invasion. You know that these language create a reality of their view over matters. However, I wouldn't say that language in of itself, like English or French, would drastically change your perception, as it would imply the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, or at least the、uh, deterministic、um, side to the ar- argument. This is because within the language we don't all think the same way, and this could be because of the arbitrariness between forms and of the words and its actual meaning, which varies from person to person. Therefore, 
I think that language does influence, but not language as a standardized language, but language in and of itself. Does that make any sense? I think I've digressed a bit here,、um, but do let me know. It's very, it's a very interesting topic, and I think this debate, this discourse as well about、um, language and the thought is also still ongoing.、Um, but I digress. Anyway,、um, but this doesn't really help with the added layer of narratives in text. You know, narratives. How the how are they realistic? So we see that perhaps you know in epistolary novel like a diary is one of the most effective way in capturing reality as writing diaries you know, is a realistic thing. But as narrator in nausea, that activity is also falsifying reality because we exaggerate things and you know plays. We now use spoken language, and there's also lots of Uh, breaking the fourth wall, and you know, it's it's about what is reality? Is our experience reality? Be, you know, because that would drastically、um, change of how we would determine the relationship between fiction and reality. Because if we think about just you know reading novels, makes us think. Um, it has effects on us.、Um, it triggers memories. Just you know, it's like living. I don't know, and it often you know resonates. That's the thing; it resonates with you. There's some truth to it, but it's just that it's fiction, as in it never really happened. But what to what determines? That being never happened, you know, especially with more、um, realistic topics. Maybe you know, oh, I mean, there's lots of like articles. You know, like I forgot, my my mind just went black. Anyway, it's like those true. Oh yeah, true stories of yada yada yada. Like true stories of a film. True stories, as in, for example, you know, Halloween. Often. They sort of say there's a true story to it, as in someone actually did that in real life. Romance novels also have true stories to it,、um, and I mean, it, there's also certain degrees as well, like fantastical ones. I think everyone can agree it's definitely fictional, but then again, within that, like Harry Potter, for example. It's fantastical, but it's still set within the parameter of humans. If you know what I mean, that it's almost reachable, obtainable. I mean, not magic, but like, ah,、oh, actually, I don't know. I'm just thinking on the spot here a bit.、Um, but yeah, um, but I think it's a very interesting thing. Um, and almost, you know, language and narratives are tools in a way. By looking at these, um, and that fiction can have a lot of influence over reality, and vice versa. So, 
there is a sort of symbiotic relationship, if that makes any sense, between rea- reality and fiction. And, you know, but, you know, like all the saying of, you know, if you repeat the, um, the lies a lot, it becomes true. So, you know, if you repeat the fiction thing over and over again, it might become reality. Who knows? But yeah, um, let me know what you guys think about this topic. I know it's a very big topic, and there's lots more to talk about, really. Um, I'm just brainstorming through a few things here. But anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed this, and I will see you next time. Bye! Hello everyone, it's me, Anne, and I'm just editing this. I realized I would just like to remind you that I do have an Instagram account also named Anne's Annotations on Instagram, yes. Um, It's just so that you guys can just follow what I'm doing, projects I'm working on, um, any updates maybe, and other posts that I like book reviews and um, it's also where you guys can send me feedback so if you guys have any suggestions or you know any comments on my what i'm doing dm me through there um it would be great to hear from you guys thank you